Metallica, here they come, the kings of metal. What? What's going on, Metallica nerds? I'm Brad Lyons. And I'm Brad Blazek. The Brads from Single Podcast Theory. And you are listening to Metal Up Your Podcast. Don't fall asleep. Welcome to Middle Up Your Podcast. My name is Clint Wells. I will be your single host today. My friend, my co-host and cohort, my compatriot, collaborator, my chum, my co-captain, my crochet instructor, my my caddy. Ethan Luck, he's out on tour somewhere with Brandy Carlisle. He couldn't make it work today, so I'm standing here in the gap to bring you guys the Metallica weekly content that you are all so used to. And uh, it's going to be a fun episode. It's episode 159 and what I am affectionately referring to as The Memory Lane Remains, where I thought it'd be a good idea to call my buddy Aaron Schaefer and talk about our formative early years loving Metallica. Now, I met Aaron when I was in second grade, when we were both seven years old. And we had a deep friendship. We're still friends to this day, 30 years going strong. We don't keep in touch as much. He lives down in Alabama. He's got a family. I've got a family. But... He's still a guy that I reach out to occasionally, and just as you're going to hear in this episode, so many really big moments. um, We're focusing musically here on this episode, obviously, but even beyond music, like really big moments in my life, he was there with me. And uh, so I got him on the phone because I wanted to get his perspective. You guys have heard about the Metallica show that I went to where James didn't show up. This guy was with me for that. You've heard about me being in a Metallica cover band in high school. This guy was the singer in that band. Uh, at the makeup show, I've told the story about the guy who clasped hands with the, the stranger on the Take My Hand part of Inner Sandman. That was this guy. Uh, he's a pretty funny cat. So we talked through meeting each other. You're going to hear a lot of different music in this episode. I really took a lot of time to curate for you the music that we talked about. And I, I really wanted it to be a celebration of that time together, of our friendship, and of the power that music has to tie all these threads together. Uh, Pearl Jam shows, uh, Tool shows, A Perfect Circle shows. We saw Oasis together. We thought we were going to get killed in a mosh pit at Oasis, which I know sounds ridiculous, but it's true. And you're really going to want to stick around for the story he tells about when uh, he was peed on at a Dave Matthews Band concert. So all of that's here. What we were listening to, what we liked, anecdotes about our parents and about growing up, playing in bands, learning to play guitar. It's all here, folks. And uh, I do want to give you fair warning here at the top. It is not exclusively about Metallica. So if you're one of these people out there that just doesn't want to hear anything else, this may not be the episode for you. But if you got an hour and a half to spare and you want to go on this ride with me, uh, there's plenty of room in the vehicle. Master! Master! Now let's get started here through some housekeeping. In the news, first of all, the second annual All Within My Hands Benefit concert has been moved to September 12th, 2020. 
It's still the Masonic, still in San Francisco, but it has been moved. So if you've bought tickets for that, I mean, it was scheduled for like a month from now in March. It's, so it's like a charity auction where they have stuff that they are auctioning. You give them some money. They put all that money in the charity. The charity does nice things like wildfire relief in California and in Australia and all sorts of cool shit, and donating to community colleges. And you ought to go to allwithinmyhandsfoundation.org and really check out what they're up to. It's, it's, a, it's a really cool organization that does unique stuff for local communities. These food banks where they get people together to do food in the towns they've played, that's all through the charity too. It's really cool. But they auction things off. And last year at the first one, our friend Chris Yerges got to, uh, he bid for a dinner with Torben Ulrich. And he got it, and he got to go hang out with Torben and Molly. So there's all sorts of interesting stuff like that. I think you should definitely try to go if you live out there. And then, of course, I know a lot of people travel. But, again, it's been moved. Now, people want to speculate. Did it move because of some issue with James going to rehab? I don't know. We don't know. But it got moved. The good news is the South American dates are still on. All right? So starting April 18th, we got a show in Argentina. Then the boys have four shows in Brazil over the last week of April, and then in May, the festival gig starts. So it's a light year for Metallica, but uh, the boys are active. It's looking good. Ooh, yeah! Another thing that's happened this week is Billabong, who partnered with Metallica before, they've released a Master of Puppets collection, and they did this with Lightning about a month ago, where it's like board shorts and a jacket. It's, it's sort of like four or five, six articles of clothing that's sort of married with the Billabong brand. And it appears as if they're doing record-specific things. We were uh, contacted by Billabong, who apparently is sending us a bunch of stuff from these collections to either wear ourselves on the old runway or to give away as gifts to patrons, which is most likely what's going to happen. So if you're into that Billabong stuff, go on over to, I don't know, Google Billabong and Metallica. It'll all come up. But the new uh, Master of Puppets line is out and live. Old Dave Mustaine made the news. He was talking to Kerrang! magazine. And he was asked when the last time he talked to James Hetfield was. And he reveals that the last time he talked to James was when they were trying to put together the No Life to Leather demo tape. They've started rolling out these big box sets. We all know about this, right? We've, in fact, given away several of these box sets. I own one myself at this point. And... um, I guess they wanted to start with this demo. They wanted to just go all the way to the beginning and put together, I don't know if maybe the Snow Life to Leather was going to be a part of the Kill em All box. That's probably most likely. Or maybe they were going to do a whole box set like on all their demos, the Power Metal demo. Who knows? But that whole thing got gummed up because of Dave Mustaine over writing credit disputes for, I believe, mechanics and Jump in the Fire. Here's what he had to say. James was trying to get me to give publishing to Lars, despite James and I being the sole songwriters. Lars wanted a percentage, and I just said no. I love James. He's a terrific guitar player, but yeah, I can't do that. The songs are already out there. I'm not going to release something just to have a product to sell, especially if they're perpetuating false information. Lars did not write the songs. It was just me and James, period. Which I believe was the official statement he made a couple years ago. It's typical sort of metal rag, clickbait bullshit. Although, what they're saying is true. It's a shame It's a shame. And of course, Dave Mustaine, he just can't make a statement without it being weird. Now, everything he says in the statement is reasonable to me. Although I think he should just be cool. But what he's saying isn't unreasonable. But he throws in the, I love James. He's a terrific guitar player. But yeah, I can't do that. Like, what does James's guitar playing have to do with anything they're talking about? Hey, Dave, are you willing to budge a little bit on this co-write thing? Lars and I sort of have a handshake deal where we, we, we all share publishing, even if I wrote the lion's share of it or whatever he's saying. Well, 
you're a pretty good guitar player, James, but yeah, I can't do that. <laughs> so anyway, there he is. Another little bit of Megadeth news. It was, I guess, revealed by Setlist.com that while the band's been performing Dawn Patrol on their current tour, it's just a tape of Dave singing it. So ending their lives as mole is his pre-recorded mole. So apparently it's sort of a throat break or like a whatever potty break for Dave. He leaves the stage, Dave Ellison and whoever the drummer are play that drum baseline groove. And then a tape of moles plays while Dave goes pee pee. Thought that was interesting. You live it or lie, yeah. All right. And lastly, in the news, check this headline out Metallica's Kirk Hammett to battle Mrs. Smith in a live guitar crybaby battle royale. Wah off. Uh, maybe you're as confused as me about what this is, so I'm going to read the article right now. This is from blabbermouth.net. Uh, it says, In January 2019, Mrs. Smith first threw down the gauntlet before Hammett, saying in an interview with the Mark Agnesy show, I'm the number one Wawa abuser. I abuse the Wawa more than Kirk Hammett. I've challenged him multiple times to a Wawa off. Why are you hiding behind your Wawa pedal, Kirk Hammett? To which Kirk wrote, Challenge received and accepted, adding the hashtag Wawa off. Legendary guitarist Joe Satriani, who famously gave guitar lessons to Hammett in the 80s, has voiced his support for Mrs. Smith, telling Rolling Stone, This is the crux of what makes Mrs. Smith so funny. There's this woman who doesn't look right, who's doing this stuff in the wrong place, in a cabaret, or on a street corner, and yet is out shredding the person who's totally dedicated to shredding. Who's got the pants and the hair and the right amp and the pointy guitar? Old Joe Satriani throwing a little shade at his former protege, huh? Here's what uh, Kirk has to say in defense of the Wah. In a 2018 interview with Metal Hammer, Hammett said that his inspiration to use the Wah came from Thin Lizzy. Kirk says, To me, the Wah-Wah is a lot like the human voice. It isn't so much about the Wah sound, it's about being able to manipulate the tone however I feel it in the moment. It actually creates a better connection to the deeper part of me. Here is the video of the gauntlet being thrown. We're going to listen to this right now. I'm the number one Wawa abuser, and I challenge right now, Kurt um, Hammett, you're out there. I know you're watching. In internet land, he's, he's uh, uh, public enemy number one on the overuse of the Wawa. You think you use it more. I abuse the Wawa more than Kirk Hammett, and I've challenged him multiple times to a Wawa, a Wawa, no a response. Waff. No response. No response. Why are you hiding behind your Wawa pedal, Kirk Hammond? You think you can't handle it? It's pretty funny. Okay, well, it's actually pretty funny. So this is some dude in drag who's apparently a guitar nerd. and uh, Oh, Kirk took him up on it. Now, what's interesting and tied to the Metal Beat Podcast family is that Chris Yurgis has a poster that he made, and Kirk is basically using the poster that Chris made for this thing. Here's the official statement from the Metallica Instagram. Now, by the way, this is March 8th at the Senate in Columbia, South Carolina. March 8th. Who would dare challenge the status of Kirk Hammett as king of the crybaby wah? His reign has long been undisputed and recognized by millions of fans the world over, not to mention wah manufacturers Jim Dunlop, who feature a Kirk Hammett signature model. Let's get a little bit of promotion in there. Last year, the gauntlet was thrown down by a most unlikely challenger, Mrs. Smith, New York City-based philanthropist, emerging guitar goddess, 
and lover of all cats, has dared to proclaim that she is, in fact, the number one abuser of the walk. Kirk has accepted her challenge, and now these two will finally go head-to-head or (laughs) foot-to-foot in a crybaby battle royale for the ages on March 8th at the Senate in Columbia. Get tickets for this once-in-a-lifetime showdown now. So if you live in that area of the world, and that sounds like it's an interesting thing to you, go check that out. That's going to be, uh, I, I look forward to seeing the results. I'm sure it will be filmed. I'm sure someone will film it with their fucking phone, which makes me happy because that means I can put it on the show. Master! Master! That's the news this week. Moving on. If you like the show, leave us a positive review on iTunes. It only takes a second. It's real easy. If you get the podcast on one of your appy apps on your phony phone, I'm a dad. You to just be cute with your kid. You just repeat the thing you're saying. Uh, the Appy app on your phony phone. There should be a hot link in there, right to our iTunes page, where you can just leave the positive review. You don't even have to write anything. If you can just leave a five star review, that would be really helpful. Only if you like the show. If you don't like the show, and you're hate listening, then I don't know who you are or what you're doing here. Maybe find a hobby. Get a hobby, hobby. Uh, if you really dig the show. And it seems many people do. We have a thing called Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash metal up your podcast, where you can basically what amounts to buying us a couple of coffee, a couple of cups of coffee a month to say thank you for all the content. And we have made that real special over there. There's all sorts of shit that we give away over there. The Lunar Satan demos, all the cover our world black and DPs, the chance to ask guests like Jay Weinberg of Slipknot and James's guitar tech, Chad Z, the chance to ask them your very own questions. We'll send you a personalized message. You can come be on the show. You can help us figure out topics. You can help us decide what to record next. All sorts of fun stuff over at the Patreon. Do go check that out. We got a couple of new patrons this week. Dan Stewart increased his pledge, and we have a new patron, Chad Weiss. Thanks, guys. I'm alone in my studio clapping for you. That's how much I. That's how much gratitude I have for you. Now, this week, you may have noticed that I released a Metal Tales episode with our friend Shane Obershaw from One, the only tribute to Metallica who was at the Jason Newstead Chop House band gig in Florida. Uh, just recounting the set list and what it was like, he got to meet Jason, and he tells us you know, what kind of questions he asked him, what the vibe was like. He got to see a logo. We are getting the Metal Tales up and running. So what does that mean? Metal Tales from the Road is, if you're a patron of the show at the $5 level or more, you get to come on and be an ambassador for whatever show you've seen. Maybe you saw him in Woodstock 99. Maybe you saw him in, at one of the Orion festivals. Maybe you were on the, the uh, World Wire tour. Maybe you saw him with Cliff in 1984 at the Channel in Boston. I don't know, but that's what's fun about it. So we covered a lot of the shows from the heart from the uh, worldwide cycle, and we're going to be covering definitely these South American shows, the Argentina show, the Argentina show, and the four Brazil shows. We're going to be doing all the festivals this year. But the cool thing is, we've opened these up to any past show you've been to, as I mentioned before. So go check out the Patreon and go sign up for Metal Tales. It's, they're really fun. They're really simple. Very conversational, casual talk about uh, how you got into Metallica, where you sit on the St. Anger issue, the show you went to, blah, 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 all that nice stuff. Maybe you had a meet-and-greet experience. Maybe you want to tell us when you ran into James at the airport and he wouldn't shake your hand like Ethan. Speaking of Ethan, he's got another really cool podcast called The Pirate Satellite. It's kind of an interview-style show where he interviews not only musicians and artists, but a lot of different kinds of creative people. And uh, there's an episode with Paul Moak, me, Matthew Mayfield, a bunch of singer-songwriters, some fashion people. Really cool stuff. It's called The Pirate Satellite. You can find that anywhere that you find podcasts. I have another podcast with my friend Bob Schneider, famous Austin, Texas musician, uh, called I'm Okay, You're Okay, I'm Not Okay, You're Not Okay. The best way to find that is to either go to our socials or type in Clint Wells wherever you look for podcasts. 
Now, we have an email address. It's mailupyourpodcastshow at gmail.com. We read five a week. We usually give preference to patrons. That's no different this week. So come along with me, my babies, on a trip into the email portal. All right, our first email is from Jay Middleton, who says, What's up, brothers? I was thinking about something the other day with these festival dates. We all know Metallica pretty much ended the Orion Music and More Festival because it wasn't financially doing great. What if Metallica is teaming up with this Danny Whitmer, Wimmer guy, I think it's Danny Whitmer, who is the promoter of these festivals, to do these dates as a test run to see if maybe he would be the guy to reboot Orion Music and More? If he has the success with these shows coming up, then it might build a big business trust between them and might lead to something amazing. I know that sounds kind of out there, but it would be pretty cool. Sincerely, Jay Middleton from Seattle, Washington, New Jersey. Well, I guess anything's possible. My guess is that it's not what's happening, because to, to successfully pull off the Orion and More Music Festival, I think one of the reasons it was so tough is because it really wasn't just the music. They had the car show. They had the museum. They had Lars's film thing. I think it was just... And they, and then they they really tried to bend the genres. You know, they would have Eric Church there with Metallica and a comedy tent. All great ideas, by the way. All a festival I would love to go to. I just feel like they really couldn't crack the code. And I think to really get a festival off the ground, you got to do it for more than two years. And I don't think they were willing to take the loss as long as it takes to get it going. I think they also had some. I think they, the, the 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 two venues for it weren't a great idea. And in that case, maybe this guy is helping them. I don't know. We'll have to just let that unfold and see. But it's an interesting theory for sure. Thanks, Jay. Uh, Xenon Samuels writes in and says, Sup, Clint and Ethan. Just listen to the Classic Albums podcast. Great stuff. Nice to include the bonus scenes, especially the Rome one. Just wanted to see if either of you have listened to the Guitar Hero Metallica instrumental tracks a few years back. You can find them online for each instrument part. It's pretty much the closest you can get to those individual instrument tracks like the Rome outro solo. Anyways, been going through the tracks again recently, finding little hidden bits, and it pleases me. Figured you might enjoy it too. Check it out. Keep up the great stuff, lads. Xenon. I have heard that. Someone sent us that uh, when we first started the podcast. So it's, I mean, I've just gone through it a little bit, but it's not all the individual stems. They've grouped things together. So it'll be like all the guitars are on one thing, drums and percussion are on one. There's usually about four to five tracks per song. And uh, yeah, I've gone through all that. It's a lot of fun. I don't know. I would just Google it. You can find it. Like he says, it's on YouTube. Thanks, dude. Michael Grosvenor writes, hey, guys. He says, well, thanks in big part to your guidance and help. My podcast has officially launched. Glass Houses, a Billy Joel podcast, is officially live. Congrats, Michael. That's awesome, man. He says, we're all on all the normal podcast outlets as well as glasshousepod.com. I wanted to thank you both again for the inspiration but also being patient with my questions as I got started. If you have a moment and want to check it out, I'd be honored. Thanks again. So uh, that's a, uh, I, I remember hanging out with Michael, I believe in Portland on a Bob Schneider tour. So he has started a Billy Joel podcast, which I'll definitely be checking out. I love Billy Joel. Don't know enough about him. I heard um, the Alec Baldwin has a great podcast called Here's the Thing or Here's the Deal. One of those. I can't ever remember. And he did a great retrospective interview with Billy Joel that got me really fascinated about him. I mean, I've got some of the records, but... Uh, a deep dive into Billy Joel to help me sort of understand and contextualize his work sounds like a lot of fun. So go check it out. It's called Glass Houses. And I wish you utmost luck, Michael, on your journey as a podcaster. Last email, Zach Burkhalter writes, Hey guys, 
So cool of you to read my email and answer it on the show. Clint, I really appreciated everything you had to say. So this was the guy who wrote in who is publishing something he's written, but asked a question about what do we do as writers when we've written something personally revealing and we feel a little trepidation about maybe people in our lives learning things about us we might not tell them to their face? Which was a great question, and I, I answered it. I'll have to refer you to that. He says, um, Clint, I really appreciated everything you had to say. Honestly, I know you're right about me sharing my story of my folks being a great avenue for them to get to know me better. The vulnerability that comes with people reading my writing is just something I'm going to have to learn to embrace because I definitely don't want this to be the first and last time I get something published. To be more specific than my last email, the short story is inspired by my experiences with anxiety and OCD. Though I did steal gum when I was a kid, like you mentioned. However, to not shoot a man in Reno just to watch him die, it was Salt Lake City. Nice. Well, dude, not only are you letting people close to you know more about you, but if you're writing about those kinds of things, anxiety, OCD, mental mental health struggles, you publishing that stuff is going to help people, dude. And that just outstrips any type of embarrassment you might feel or, or uncomfortableness with vulnerability you might feel. And it is a muscle you get used to. And my, I mean, I'm at a point now where I just don't care. I don't care what anyone thinks about what I write. And I'm not saying that in a, ooh, look at me. I'm just, I've just been doing it forever. I remember my first batch of songs being really nervous for my mom to hear them or my sister to hear them. Because a lot of things I wrote about when I was young were just about my family. I didn't have a lot of external experience. But it comes a point where you just have to believe in what you're doing. And, you know, you want people to like what you do. If anyone who says they don't want someone to like what they do is full of shit, okay? You can believe that. But from an artistic perspective, the integrity of the art, you, you can't be concerned about it if they don't like it or if it changes how they feel about you. Because how they, if it changes how they feel about you, that's how they feel about who you really are, unless you're making a bunch of shit up. So um, he goes on to say, I'm psyched to hear you're coming to Austin in March. I recently started listening to I'm Okay, You're Okay, I'm Not Okay, You're Not Okay. So I'd love to come when you guys do a live podcast. Actually, it was funny to listen to this week's episode because I was at the same tool show as Bob was. It was my first time seeing them, and they did not disappoint. So yeah, I'm going to Austin for South by Southwest. South by Southwest basically does a week of podcast stuff now, in addition to the tech week and the bands and stuff. And Bob and I are doing our podcast in front of a live audience on March 18th. I will have more details about that as I get them. Of course, Zach, I'd love uh, to see you at that and say hi and maybe get a beer or something. Uh, it says, oh, well, speaking of that, if you have time, I'd definitely be down to grab a beer with you. Besides Metallica, I'm a huge horror movie and Kiss fan, so I'm sure we could find a few things to talk about. Well, we might fall in love, dude. I might just, I might leave my wife and my whole family, my whole life, I might just completely change for you, dude. It might be, it might be that crucial of a friendship. He says, obviously, obviously family comes first, so if you guys have plans and can't swing it, totally understand. Well, what a nice, reasonable thing to say. Thanks again, Zach Burkhalter. Well, cool, dude. Well, we'll be in touch about Austin. And uh, I appreciate all of you who write in. It means a lot to us. We really care about the Metal Up Your Podcast community, and I hope that comes through uh, each week in these episodes. So we're going to exit the email portal now and talk to my buddy Aaron, strap in, and get ready to learn a lot about how old Clint e. Clint grew up listening to music. Hey everyone, this is Ethan and Clint. We're here to tell you about supporting the show via Patreon. That's right. Every week, Ethan and I work hard to bring you the best Metallica content possible. If you think the show has value, consider supporting us on a financial level at Patreon. For $5 a month, or the price of two cups of coffee, you can ensure that Metal Up Your Podcast continues to grow in quality and content. But that's not all. In addition to being able to help sleep at night for supporting your favorite podcast, we've also come up with incentives to say thank you that are exclusively available to patrons. For example, for a pledge of $5 or more, you immediately get free 
downloads of every Cover Our World Blackened EP. Ticket giveaways for shows like SNM2 and Slain Castle. Box sets, rare vinyl, Metallica memorabilia like SNM2 guitar picks. Email priority, meaning we'll read your email first on the show with a chance to ask guests like Hailstorm, Jay Weinberg of Slipknot, and Metallica Row Crew your very own questions. And the opportunity to come on the show as a guest for our Metal Tales bonus episodes in which you can tell us all about any Metallica show you've been to in the past. All this and more for becoming a patron and supporting Metal Up Your Podcast. We couldn't do this show without you, and to everyone on the ride with us, we sincerely thank you. Peace. Adios. So before we get into talking with my buddy Aaron about all things Clint Clint growing up loving music, I wanted to segue into that conversation with one of Aaron's songs. Aaron is in a really great band called Cordova, and at the time of Birmingham that I was really coming up and starting to really get the bug for doing music professionally, we were all playing in bands in Birmingham, and Cordova was one of the bigger local bands in town. And just a really cool sound. I'm going to play a few of those songs throughout this episode, but we'll start with one right now called Across the Sky, and then we'll hear from Aaron. I miss yesterday We'll never be the same I woke up tired again She shot across the sky and never returned When you let
obviously to do a Metallica podcast, there has to be some pedigree there of like being a lifelong fan and stuff because we really were obsessed with the band. <laughs> How learning those songs made us better and just thought, well, it'd be really cool to have someone like you on and talk about that crap. We were definitely in the Metallica vortex around right. junior and senior year. Exactly. And so part of me is like, man, am I just sort of rewriting that narrative? I don't think so. Like, I think we were like around S&M and stuff. I think we were pretty fucking obsessed. I remember back then, junior year of high school, there was, what was the rock radio station? Like 99.1 or something like that. They had every night, they had that mandatory Metallica. Yeah, I remember that. For an hour long. I remember. Well, no, I thought it was like 15 minutes where they played three songs. Oh, oh, you're right. It was three songs. But I remember we used to call and give them shit. Well, because what happened is, and we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves. We'll go back to the beginning. But what happened was that new station came out and they were pretty awesome. Like they weren't playing stupid shit because we were pretty snobby. Like, yeah, they weren't playing like Godsmack songs, even though Godsmack was really big at the time. But what happened is they came out of the gate really cool, but then they started to get corporate and shitty. And remember we called them, we would call them and give them shit. I don't remember that at all. For like not playing Creeping Death or something. <laughs> oh, because they were playing like like Inner Sandman or something. I, I guess, yeah, they weren't playing like deep quote unquote deep cuts or. Uh, I just remember we had a lot of attitude, but I think the attitude was we were just borrowing from their attitude. Like we would watch the Year and a Half of the Life, the making of the Black album, or like Binge and Purge, or S and M, and I felt like we were sort of adopting their punk rock conceitedness. Like I felt like we were wearing it. You know what I mean, like a costume. You know, there's definitely that. The real fans would talk about how the Black Album was like a sellout. Right. All that kind of stuff. And man, the Black Album, I think, is their best album. But back then, I would try to say that. But I thought we had like a real affinity for the 90s stuff just because of our age. Like, I remember we were always playing the Load and Reload stuff. Didn't we play Fuel and Hero of the Day? And We definitely got there. King Nothing and Rome and all that stuff. But when I would kind of get on somebody's ass about... You know, just like in the big stuff, it was it was that kind of attitude. But yeah, we I think that we also saw that those were kind of hated albums too, mm-hmm. and gravitated towards that in that way. Yeah, because it was not cool to like, like those. underdog. Yeah, I don't know if this is true for you, but you're like my longest running friend ever. We became yeah. best friends in second grade, and we've remained friends for our whole lives. Now we're now we're old men, old men with families and kids and wives and all that stuff, but. I remember a big part of that for us was music. We were always into music together. I think we got each other Pearl Jam 10 when it had just come out on cassette for each other's birthdays. Right. remember when we met we were in miss hathaway's class in second yeah grade. we were in second grade but i don't remember i remember the first time you spent the night do you remember the first time when we watched bill and ted's bogus journey <laughs> and thought it was hilarious that the, those like monster guys ass cracks went all the way up their back what do they call themselves <laughs> what are they the science they were scientists station station I don't I don't think that i've seen that since then man i rewatched it like in 2011 pretty rough 
pretty rough sauce. <laughs> it wasn't great. Yeah. I just remember we stayed up late and your dad came in and told us to quit watching TV. Right. It was such an interesting time because that would have been second grade for us. Is how, how old is that? How old is are you in second grade? Seven? Jake's in seven, uh, second grade now. Yeah, he's seven, about to be eight. So yeah. So he's the age that we were when we met. That's yeah. nuts that you mm-hmm. have a son that old. That's nuts. Yeah, I know. I think what's so cool about that time, though, looking back, and I probably everyone feels this way, but just there was a lot of cool stuff going on musically. So that would have been 90 and 91. So we're looking at obviously a lot of great Metallica stuff. So we would have been seeing like the one video on MTV, but we're talking like Black Album, Pearl Jam 10, Nirvana Nevermind, Bad Motor Finger. <laughs> I remember you were a big Chili Peppers cat. I loved Blood Sugar Sex Magic. And so I had Use Your Illusion 1 on cassette. Guns was a big band for us, too. And I remember I was trying to figure out a way of, I don't know, it, I, I manipulated my mother into getting me Blood Sugar Sex Magic yeah. because I told her that I wanted to get that because I said that uh, Use Your Illusion 1 had too much cussing on it, so I wanted something <laughs> that... <laughs> I guess she just completely overlooked the parental advisory yeah. on it, but... But it's funny, I pulled the same shit with my mom to get facelift by Alice in Chains, because Man in the Box is on it, where there's famously some pretty, uh, I guess, blasphemous lyrics. But this is the sort of stuff that we would have to navigate around growing up in the South. Our moms were both sort of, not prudish, but like, you know, our moms were religious and and kind of kept an eye on the the stuff we we were getting into, but we were getting into some dark shit. And we were having to just find our way around it all. I do remember Use Your Illusion 1 being a bit more graphic than Use Your Illusion 2. I mean, even the song titles themselves contained a lot of cuss words. The song titles were what? Like, Don't Damn Me, Back Off Bit. Right, right Next, next door, door to Hell. hell. Yeah. Right next Of course, you can't tell from the title "Get in the Ring" on Usual Illusion Two, like how vulgar the, it is. The rant that he goes on, but when he goes off on Bob Gucciani Jr. <laughs> yeah, that goes for all you punks in the press that want to start shit by printing lines instead of the things we said. That means you, Andy Setzer, Hit Parader, Circus Magazine, Mick Wall at Kerrang, Bob Gucciani Jr. at Spin. What you pissed off because your dad gets more pussy than you? Fuck you. Suck my fucking dick. 
ripping off the fucking kids while they be paying their hard-earned money to read about the bands they want to know about. Prison lies, starting controversy. You want to antagonize me? Antagonize me, motherfucker. Get in the ring, motherfucker, and I'll kick your bitchy little ass. But I, I mean, it was a big time gamble for me because yeah. I was like, you know, this, this song's called this, this one's called that. I said, you know, I want something without cussing. And I, the gamble was, I mean, pro- I probably could have just told my mama I wanted Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> I probably didn't have to, to do that. But the gamble was, you know, what if she would have taken it away from me? Right. That I was willing to give it a shot. Right. So I did. I got it. And she did. She didn't take Usual Illusion 1 away. It's funny. Like at that time when we were those kids, those records especially for me because my parents were divorced so i was like traveling to montgomery alabama where my dad's side of the family was every other weekend so having use your illusion 2 in my cassette player or like michael jackson dangerous or faith no more the real thing those records i don't know i don't want to be over dramatic about it but they were like your they were like your buddies like you know what i mean i remember remember feeling like blood sugar sex magic the record was like a friend of mine isn't that weird I didn't want to be separated from them. Right. And I gave you Michael Jackson Dangerous. Yeah. Probably third grade. I came over to your house and I brought some of my other tapes and CDs and stuff. And one of them was Nevermind. I remember I was incredibly careful not to let your sister, who was, <laughs> who was younger than us, see the front of that because it has the baby's has a, penis the on baby it. The baby penis, yeah. Oh my God, dude. I've told this story many times about the the comic book case that I had in which I wrote all of my favorite bands on it. And I have a picture of this that I need to try to find, but I wrote, do you remember this? This was around fifth grade for us. Was this your tub that you carried around? It wasn't the tub. It was like a, it was like a white box that held comic books. Oh yeah. 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 And I had written on it. I'd written my favorite bands, Pearl Jam, Metallica, Alice in Chains, Guns N' Roses, and then inexplicably just the word rap. Yes, I do. Remember. Do you remember this? <laughs> Did you mention Michael Jackson just now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. MJ, yeah, yeah. yeah he was on yeah, there. You had that, but yes, I remember it saying rap. <laughs> To the folks, Snoop Doggy Dog and Dr. Dre is at the door. Ready to make an entrance, so back on up. Cause you know we're about to rip shit up. Give me the microphone first so I can bust like a bubble. Compton and Long Beach together, now you know you in trouble. Ain't nothing but a G thing, baby. Too low death, make us so we're crazy. Death Row is the label that pays, man. Unfatable, so please don't try to fake this. But uh, back to the lecture at hand. Perfection. I liked, you know, the Def Jam you know the chronic and i liked whatever music videos were on mtv you know what i mean it wasn't like culturally i was into rap i just liked mtv so much (laughs) i just liked whatever was on fucking mtv you just liked it so much (laughs) but but one of the things that we used to do i don't know if you remember this is we would you would come over and let's say we had we both had the cassette for like bad or or dangerous or whatever appetite is we would synchronize our walkmans we were wearing our own headphones but we would hit play at the same time and we would just walk through the neighborhood. Do you remember yeah, this? Yeah, we were wanting to yeah, cuz we wanted to experience that together. <laughs> but we were listening on separate headphones. <laughs> and dude, I watched the OJ chase with you on the phone. Do you remember that? Yeah, we yeah, watched I the do. OJ yeah. and we used to play like Super Mario Brothers. We would start the levels at the same time on the phone. The phone was huge back then. I mean, we were talking about how <laughs> Xbox is weird that they're talking to each other. We did that just on the phone. <laughs> we just talked on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> so but i do remember there being like a 
there was a weird overlap where you started to get CDs before me, like maybe a year or two before me. So we were still doing our sync up. We'd call each other on the phone and listen to Appetite for Destruction together. We'd hit play at the same time. But it was a little more complicated for me to hit play on the cassette and you were hitting play on a CD. Like it It's would, nearly impossible. It would never line that. up right. Yeah. So music was just a huge part of our deal, you know? I just don't remember us not making music a big deal. And it's weird to think about now because I guess kids can get into a lot of shit. Some kids get really into skateboarding or, or whatever. We were always just really into music. Do you remember there's like a video of me at your house listening to Pearl Jam Animal and I'm like playing air guitar and jumping off the couch and shit at your house and we just really lived and breathed that stuff. Yeah, but I really didn't get into it until we started hanging out. Before that, I had like MC Hammer. Yeah, I had that. And Ice Ice Baby. I did have Dangerous. I wonder who initiated that. How did that go? I do remember Brian Bunch had the single for um you could be mine okay it had like the front of terminator 2 on it yeah i don't know i think okay so if we're if we're trying to hone in on like the genesis of the music part one of my distinct memories is uh, dude i'll never forget this so surely i saw welcome to the jungle on mtv something like that surely i saw it but i'll never forget it. it was in fourth grade i think after school care where you played for me paradise city I remember you told me the words. You were like, it's really cool. It says, take me down to the Paradise City where the grass is green and the girls are pretty. And I was, I was like, that is pretty cool. And <laughs> I remember thinking, that is pretty cool. And then when I heard it, I mean, that song is just so badass. So hearing it as a fourth grader, I was like, oh, my God. And I remember that's when I was like, I, got, I went home and I told my mom, I was like, I got to get Appetite for Destruction. My mom already had it because my mom liked hard rock. But maybe that was part of it. Maybe that was part of the beginning was more around third and fourth grade. Third grade, definitely. Maybe that summer between third and fourth was real, like that we were getting into comic books then, I think. Yes, yeah. we were. Yeah. And we were we were always really into horror films. Yeah, right. So like, maybe there's a thread there, too. Like the horror films of the 80s and 90s always had like rock soundtracks. And I don't know. It's like we were pretty good kids. We Remember, we made a vow to each other not to use cuss words. We sure did. I remember that. Your living room. Yeah. We were pretty good kids, but I guess we just liked... I don't know, maybe we just sort of liked the edge that you get in horror films as as sort of good kids who had good families. Maybe we just sort of were attracted to the, the little bit of that dark edge in, in hard rock. Like, I absolutely think that's what it is, 100%. I remember like Cowboys from Hell being a big part of that, um, Faith No More, The Real Thing, and Angel Dust. Faith No More, yeah. I never got into Pantera, but yeah, that Faith No More, yeah, for sure. And Alice in Chains, we, you know, we were big into Alice, right? Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs>
think a lot of that probably had to do with MTV also, just because we were able to have this visual element. You didn't have to go seek it out, dude. We would just, we, I mean, that was back, it sounds like the get off my lawn old man shit, but that was back when you really could just watch MTV for a long time and see a bunch of great shit. I remember waking up in the summer and just turning it on at like 6 a.m. Yeah. And like the first time I saw Smashing Pumpkins today. Yes, the ice cream truck. cheesy when i say stuff like this but i'm being dead serious like i remember thinking like i've got to get that like that is such a like i just i still love that sound i listened to that record last night but um that's like the go-to all the time now i don't really know where to turn the station to right when i turn it on yeah yeah but it was always you just turn it on there and it would be something i remember coming home that summer of third grade and just waiting for the plush video to come on stone double pilots time i hear that song it reminds me of that summer me too well what we used to do in the summer our kind of we probably did this every summer from second grade to maybe fourth or fifth grade where we would just stay at each other's houses for like a week at a time yeah like i'd go to your house and i would basically live at your house for a whole week (laughs) and then you'd come to my house and live at my house for a week and we had like a pool near our house so we would go to the pool every day and one of the greatest things in fifth grade our entire grade took a trip to washington dc and me and you, and then the rest of them like went to like Atlanta one day and like Montgomery one day and me and you just got to stay home all week. We just, just stayed, stayed home. in each other's houses. It's yeah. Amazing. <laughs> Clearly the better option. The entire week. <laughs> so we moved through all that. We move into eighth grade. So we'll skip over some years here. Now eighth grade was an interesting year for all of us. We were twelve and thirteen, maybe getting our first couple of girlfriends. And that was when another friend of of ours that I've mentioned on the show before, Matt Harris, got a guitar. He was the first of us to get an instrument, right? Yeah. So he he gets a guitar. But that was the second time I ever heard Wonderwall. Today was gonna be the day, but they'll never throw it back to you. By now, you should have somehow realized what you're not to do. about you now well you're a huge oasis fan you're still a huge oasis fan yeah so i'd heard it a few nights before you know definitely maybe didn't get big here like when it came out and it never was live forever never really was a big hit until maybe after after morning glory was a hit everyone kind of rediscovered that album i had heard wonderwall a few nights before i went over there and then when i was over there we were down in your downstairs it came on and you know i was like oh man this song you're like oh yeah you know it's a great song or whatever you were liking it too but i remember that was the second time i'd ever heard it yeah 
which is a big thing for me since I'm such a big fan of theirs. That was a fun little season. We I remember the house you're talking about was in a, a neighborhood called Chandelar, which kind of butted up against your neighborhood. Um, but Chandelar was very hilly and very circuitous. And our friend Matt Harris, who got the guitar for us, he also lived in that neighborhood. And we had these other friends who were a little older, like Wes Peters, I'm thinking of, who he maybe had a guitar and his older brother had a guitar. So there were all these kind of people around that we really looked up to that were almost like musical mentors. Yeah. Even though looking back on it now, he's just a bunch of fucking dorks. But And Wes's brother, Brian, you know, worked at... Um, he worked at uh, uh, Magic, Magic Platter, Platter, the local yeah. record store. And I used to uh, order all the Oasis singles with the B-sides through him. Right. That were imported from England and Japan and stuff. We used to go get like Pearl Jam bootlegs and Dave Matthews bootlegs from Slip Disc. Remember Slip Disc? Yes. Yep. In uh-huh. Homewood. Yeah, they had all that bootleg stuff over there. Yeah. Okay, so we move into eighth and ninth grade. We all get guitars. And this is this is where, for me, the Metallica... Or maybe it was a little later than that, because like you said, it was junior year. And so this would have been 98, 99. Uh, the post, like, heyday of Load, Reload, S&M, Garage Days. Metallica was all over MTV. That stuff was pretty easy to learn. Like, we could, you could learn King Nothing and play it, and it sounded like it. I mean, we lived and breathed that shit. I mean, I just feel like Metallica was like our way of life there for a minute. Oh, yeah. I mean, they were my favorite band for a while. Like, the first Metallica song, like video that I really remember was um, Wherever I May Roam. Okay. So we got into them for there, there for a while and got like the Black Album. In seventh grade, you remember Tyler Patton? Mm-hmm. He was really into them. He was a guitar player. And, yeah. He lived down the street from me and we'd play like street hockey and stuff and listen to music. But he was really into them. And I got justice because of listening to it with him. Okay. Like I had heard one before, but like Harvester of Sorrow, like Blackened and stuff. Yeah. I kind of started liking the non-single tracks and stuff, but really didn't go much further then until we kind of got back into them. I think that that was, for me, our junior year. Well, and that's when we started to, I mean, I don't know how many people have this experience, but junior year, in my mind's eye, we had sort of grown past some of the awkwardness of eighth and ninth and tenth grade, and we'd kind of found our place. Like we always had a lot of friends and a lot of different kind of uh, cliques, and I felt like we were popular enough to like have a good time in high school. You know, we were always kind of friends with a lot of different people, and then when we when we found out kind of who we were musically, when we sort of identified that was our identity was really centered around music. I feel like we all had a co- confidence together. Does that ring true to you about oh, that yes. era? Like, yes. we just sort of knew who we were. We all kind of had girlfriends. Like, we were all dating. And I think even me and Matt were dating a couple of girls that didn't even go to our school. That was a real coming-of-age summer. That, exactly. That summer of, uh, I guess, 2000? Yeah. And and really kind of like spring break leading up through that summer. Oh, my God. Yeah, the Florida trip. Remember that? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We videoed it. Yeah. Um. Don't know where that ended up. Wish I still had it. I know. I wish you could find it. And and the other thing I want to talk about is when we performed Metallica songs. That, so we went to a high school called Pelham High School. And there was a, a yearly sort of battle of the bands type thing called Pelapalooza. 
and uh, we did. You were you were the singer of that band. It was me and Matt Harris. The funny story that I tell about Brent, our drummer for that band, is I talk about how we didn't really like him that much. Yeah. But the fact that he like had a double kick drum and he could play the machine gun part to one, he was like automatically in the band. And it was funny because we would rehearse and stuff, but we didn't even really like him. We like we didn't hang out with no, him. No, I couldn't stand him. We really yeah. couldn't stand him, but because he he was pretty good. He was like a good little wily yeah, metal drummer. He, I think he loved Lars. Like I think didn't he have a Tama drum kit? Yeah, he had Tama because of Lars. Yeah. And he was a big Kiss freak too. Oh yeah, he was a huge Kiss fan and a big Megadeth guy. Remember that I, I made <laughs> remember I made fun of Megadeth and he he like wanted to beat me up because I was talking yes. shit about Megadeth. Yeah. So you in your house in your basement you had like a drum set you kind of had a rehearsal space where we would sort of show up and rehearse and I remember we decided to do Pelopalooza and I remember that day in your garage we were like oh here are all the songs we could do and we did we did one by U two because we were big U two fans we did Sherb Rock we yeah. did Sober by Tool uh huh we did Fade to Black and the song One by Metallica which thinking about especially the song One. For us to have done that at 17 and 18 years old, we were pretty serious about the technical parts of the music. We were good enough to really pull that off at, at that age, which is pretty impressive. I mean, as the singer and the, only the singer, that part, that was not difficult for me. But like, I think I still have that videotape and it hasn't been terribly long since I've seen it, maybe 10 years or so. And man, it was good. Okay, like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Because I've I've reached out to Matt Harris to try to find this, and he he couldn't. He said he thought his dad had it, but he couldn't find it. So you may have access to I that. I might, yeah, I might have that. Oh yeah. my gosh, I'll have to see. One of our parents must have filmed it like on one of those camcorders that maybe had an actual VHS tape in it or something. Yeah, my, well, it had um, a little micro VHS or something. Yeah, yeah, the small ones. Yeah. Oh my gosh, if you can find that, I gotta get a copy of it. Yeah, I'll see if I can find it. So your last time you saw it, which maybe 10 years ago, it held up. We we actually played it pretty tight. I mean, the music was good. We also did Comfortably Numb. Yeah. we were That was a pretty ambitious set list, dude. Yeah. Do you remember what else we played? What else did we do? Oh, we did I think it was just those. No, we did oh, por Porch. Porch. Yeah. We did Pearl yeah. Jam Porch. Yeah. What do we do? Seven, eight? How many is that? Yeah. Seven or eight. Songs. But I remember we, we thought we were the most badass motherfuckers at that thing. And do you remember there was another band called Raid that played? And I was... I've told this story too, but with with shame, where I was like talking shit about him, and the drummer who it was this guy named Gibson who was even out of high school confronted me about it. Do you remember? Is his this? last name Gibson? His first name was Gibson. I don't remember this at all. I was talking shit about this band because I was young and stupid and arrogant, and he uh -huh. he confronted me about it, but in a really cool way. He's like, "Hey, man, let me talk to you, dude." He's like, "You know, you're going around talking shit about my band." He's like, "It's really not cool, man. Like, we're all here to." You know, we're here to play music, and you know, we're all, we're on the same side. And I just didn't even know how to deal with that, so I was like, "You guys suck!" Like, <laughs> doubled down. Man, I could, yeah, but I, I'm impressed that you're brave enough to talk about that on here, because some of those, yeah, I think about some of the times like I was doing stuff like that. I'm like, why did I? Why was I acting like that? Because we were kids. You gotta, yeah. you gotta, yeah, you gotta try that. You gotta try that meanness on, and then, yeah. and then what happens is if if you if you've got any sense about you, you should try that crap on. And then you're like, oh, I don't like this. I didn't like the way it felt, you know, <laughs> yeah. very perceptive, very <laughs> aware of the feelings that you have. <laughs> I was like, uh, being mean sucks. I don't like this. Yeah. He, I don't like the way it's making me feel. Exactly. Right and he was being so nice about it. That Well, that's the worst thing. I had uh, I saw John Mayer at the mall or something, dude. 
it was I like thinking back on that is makes me cringe so much like John Mayer would ever remember that. But I see yeah, I saw him in Suncoast. Sun- and um, for those of you who don't know, Suncoast is like a, a VHS and DVD store. It was like a movie store. Yeah, it was awesome. But there's really expensive. Yeah. DVDs were like 30 bucks. But so I saw I was in there and I see John Mayer and some guy. This was like just after Room for Squares. Like, I still don't like that album. Me neither. But I like I like the one, heavier things. I like Continuum. Me too. But I said, is that John Mayer? And he was like, yeah. I said, he's a Dave Matthews ripoff. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, oh, hold on just a second. John, come here. And he came over. He goes, yeah. He goes, uh, he goes, this guy says you're a Dave Matthews ripoff. He goes, oh, thanks, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. He's so cool. Uh, I, and I said some other stuff, and I just want to not think about it. But. <laughs> I remember that. Oh, my gosh. We were just a little That punks. part's not terrible, but yeah. Man, we, we really did have a good time in these years, even when we were being douchebags. But the, another really cool thing that we got to live out together is we worked in a record store together. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, an independent record store in the mall called Sound Shop. And that must have been our junior or senior year in high school. That was fun because we would work whole shifts together where we would take turns sleeping behind the counter. It was kind of like high fidelity. That's another one of those things. I'm like, I cannot believe that we did that. That we slept on the, on the job? Yeah, the manager, Tom, he was just like, never really said anything. Yeah. But yeah, to, to, for us to be paid and one of us like laying down up against the counter, like so nobody could see us. And the other person man in the register and then switching in and out. Do you remember uh it was it was this older chick, this was around Christmas time. And a lot of times people would like want to buy a CD but not really know what it was. And so we'd be like, Well, can you remember any of the lyrics or I remember this, this... perfectly. Okay. And so <laughs> so I think you were like laying down on the counter. So I was just standing up and I was like, Well, if you can if you can sing a little bit of it for me, you know, I can try to help you find it. And this sweet old lady's like, Oh, okay. Well, um, okay, let's see. Um, have yourself a very, very little Christmas. (laughs) Yes. And she said, Have a very, very little Christmas. And I I regret to say it, but I asked her to sing it again for your benefit. Yes, yep, you did. I was like, Oh man, I think I know it. Would you mind singing that one more time? Oh, okay, okay. Well, um, yeah, uh, let's see. Um, have yourself a very, very little Christmas. It was so soft how she was singing it. <laughs> have and yourself I, a... And she goes, very, very little Christmas. Yeah, yeah, And then I had to take her to it where it's clearly like in all caps and all bold letters, have yourself a merry <laughs> little Christmas. Oh, I must have gotten that wrong. Uh, so let's talk about this. So Metallica's our favorite band. We're working in music stores. We're little misfit guitar nerds. Literally coming home from school and playing Metallica all night. We finally get tickets to go see Metallica. Metallica in the year 2000. They're on their summer sanitarium tour with a bunch of bands. And I've explained this on the show before. We really did not like these other bands. And we were pretty snobby about it. Uh, it was System of a Down, Power Man 5000, Kid Rock, and Corn. And we. I did get busted by y'all, though. Like, I think I'd acted like I didn't like Corn. And either you or Matt noticed that I was singing every word. Oh, so you did. Because like I, I loved, well, I liked their first two albums a lot. Another Tyler uh, band, Tyler Patton, got me into. Okay. But yeah, so they had all, those four bands before Metallica, yeah. And for us, like, that was a big deal. We're 17. It was hard to buy the ticket. You know, it's hard to come up with 50, 60 bucks 
when you're that age. And then it was like, we had to figure out how to get there. It was in Atlanta. It was at the Georgia Dome. I don't think I'd ever been to a venue that big. And it was a long gig. Like we sat through all that shit. You know, Power Man 5000 was first. Then it was System of a Down, which System of a Down now I think is really dope. I wish I'd paid attention. And then Kid Rock, who, which I did like Devil Without a Cause, but by this point, I don't know if you remember this too, but at, currently at this time that we were seeing the show, Kid Rock had a big hit with American Badass, which was a sample of Sad But True. And we just thought of that as a total disgrace. Yeah, I still do. It is. It, it's a fucking abomination. It's horrible. Yeah. But that was a big thing. So Kid Rock was dead to me, and Corn was just dead to me. So we sit through that whole gig and I've told the story before, so I wanted to kind of get your angle on it because I think it might be different. And any details you remember, I mean, this for us was like seeing the Beatles. Like, um, I, I, this was the band I'd wanted to see more than any band ever, and it was our first time, and we were all there together. It was me, you, and Matt, right? Was it just us three? Uh, my mom took us, so she was there. Yeah, she took it. But, like, for us as buddies, it was just yeah, us three. Yeah, <clears throat> And we're all in a band together. We all play Metallica songs. Metallica was our band, blah, blah, blah. We, and then we sat through what felt like a whole day of, of music we didn't like, except for you. Yeah. You liked corn. Well, I did like corn, but I didn't like the rest. And I remember we're waiting for Ecstasy of Gold to start, and it never starts. And they're going on late, and we're wondering what. And this is like when there are no phones, you know? Like we, we weren't able to like really figure out what was going on. There were no updates, there was no checking Twitter or Instagram. It's just, uh, you know, 50,000 people in this big ass Georgia Dome waiting for Metallica. There was a lot of confusion. A lot of confusion and a lot of people yeah. getting kind of upset. And yeah. I remember the house lights came on and they all walked out and Kurt was wearing a cowboy hat. And I think I looked at you and said, Kirk's wearing a cowboy hat. This can't be good. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what's he doing? Going to a fucking rodeo? Because he was like our metal hero, you know? He's wearing a fucking cowboy hat. Listen up, man. Listen up, man. Listen up.
to try and uh, bring some of those cats out here with us. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to have some fucking fun, people, all right? We are going to have some fucking fun, people. So we're going to try and put about 90 minutes together, okay? We want you guys to be fucking with us so James can be back at the fucking hospital hearing that we're fucking doing this all united together, okay? So we'll be back out in a few minutes. We got members of Corn, we got Kid Rock, we got everybody here. We're gonna have some fucking fun. And we'll see you guys here August 4th for a free concert, okay? Thank you, Lana. Thank you for seeing being so patient. We'll see you soon, alright? I can't remember y'all tonight when we come back to play these songs, alright? James isn't gonna be up here. So we're gonna need all you fuckers singing really loud, okay, for him tonight. We'll see you in a few minutes to have some fun, all right? See you soon. That's when they told us that James, like, heard his back water skiing. And this now, all these years later, it's a really kind of famous little stretch of shows because they missed, like, three shows. And that's never really happened before where James, like, didn't make the show. So we saw, and this was the first night of that. Do you remember how pretty sure all three of us felt this way that we still thought that they were still about to come out and play like they were just kind of like pulling one over on yeah, us yeah we weren't sure if they were trolling us at the time but we yeah. called it that but yeah i do remember that but then here's what i remember is they were like well because uh, jason newstead was a probably my favorite member of the band at the time and so the first couple of songs they did jason just sang the lead like they did creeping death yeah. and they did for whom the bell tolls with just jason and i remember thinking like well i mean <laughs> If this is going to be the show, then fine. Like, no problem. Um, because they had said they were going to honor the ticket or whatever. But then as the night unfolded... Man, it was just... They had a fan come up and try to sing Master of Puppets. And he couldn't and do it. Know it. Yep. Yeah. They had, like, corn guitar player coming out and playing. And, like, yep. Kid Rock came out. Yep. They did American Badass. And I was like, oh, I mean, we were just God. booing. I think we, I think we actually had our middle fingers up. It was a rough night for big Metallica fans. I mean, as a musician now to think about them putting that all together that day and doing their best to like try to do something special. It's, it's like admirable and it's cool, you know, like, all right. But if it had been what I had thought were cooler bands, like whoever, what were other cool rock bands at the time? Cause we didn't really like mainstream rock. We hated Godsmack. We hated corn. Well, I thought you hated corn. We didn't like corn. We didn't like any of those bands. We didn't like <laughs> Limp Biscuit. We didn't like um, Lincoln park. We were really snobby yeah, about yeah. like hard rock. Yeah. If it had been like Tool doing Metallica, okay, you know. So I think the the most disappointing thing was the standard that we had Metallica on. It wasn't like just some like band we really liked, but like they seemed human. Yeah, Metallica was so good at what they did. It was it was almost like finding out there's no Santa. Yeah, I don't care now. Like I know that they're humans now. Like as I've grown up, like I don't feel really that way. Maybe the Beatles, just because it's the Beatles. But back then, that was it. Felt weird. It felt different. Yeah. After that, yeah, it was like a fall from grace. It, it was a weird like peak behind. Because you're right. I mean, just because of our is because of our age, we just really put them on a, a serious pedestal. Yeah. Because the music, the thing about learning that music when you're a kid and you're so spongy and open to all that, really like dissecting the music and trying to learn it and getting it under your own fingers, you really see the technical quality that they were working with. Their body of work is remarkable. To us, they were like at the height of their powers. 
because SNM to me was like yeah I thought that was awesome to me yeah. to me SNM was like the best thing ever and just hearing that put together with the symphony and get being just absolutely flawless and we were obsessed with No Leaf Clover do you remember oh, that's, that that's great I still like that song a lot do you like it love it absolutely love it yeah it's probably in my top ten definitely in the top yeah. twenty. And I even liked I Disappear, uh, which I think came out that year also. That was on the Mission Impossible soundtrack? Yeah, Mission Impossible 2. You know, we had traveled for that gig. We sat through it. We got through it finally. I can't remember anything. Do you remember what it was like filing out of the Georgia Dome? Did we, like, take the MARTA? How did we get home? We did take the MARTA. Okay. I don't remember many details. I do remember leaving. It's just like a screenshot of it. Like, I don't remember what we were talking about and stuff. (laughs) I wonder if it was just silence. I'm sure we were talking like and how did we find out about when it was rescheduled for and where it was and all that i remember we went to bruno's in hoover and exchanged the tickets bruno's, remember that? bruno's is a grocery store yes yeah i do remember that so this is 20 years ago so i mean this was this would have been i don't you know I, I don't know if they sent something in the mail or you get an email or something i mean it, it was a very primitive way of doing shit like yeah. that but so they did reschedule for a few months later at Lake at uh, Lakewood Amphitheater, yeah, which is now I think the Verizon Wireless. It's the same amphitheater, but it was a shed, so that was fun. No opener. Well, Corrosion of Conformity. Wait, did Corrosion open that show? I'm pretty sure they did. Did we watch it? I don't think we knew who they were. Dang. Well, I like Coc a lot now, but I don't. Yeah, I guess I. Dang, so we didn't see that. We didn't see them. Hold on, I'm googling that right now. Well, so let's get into that gig. So. It's the makeup show. We're excited to finally see them. They had a really bare bones production. Remember, they just had the four screens above them with just each of their faces on it. And it was kind of a greatest hit set list. Remember, they weren't like touring a record or anything. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it was. Yeah. And, and just to just to throw that out, uh, August 5th, 2000, Summer Sanitarium, Metallica Corrosion of Conformity. Wow. So, yeah. So we did see that. Holy shit. That's crazy. I remember that they opened with Creeping Death. It was kind of a greatest yeah. hits thing. They did No Leave Clover. They did Turn the Page. They probably did I Disappear. They Which did... was the best possible scenario. Yeah. Like for your first Metallica show. The greatest hits set list, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It, it, when we finally saw the makeup show, we were... If we had seen that show, you talk about sort of the, the Santa Claus, like or seeing behind the Oz curtain. If we had seen that show first, we would still have thought they were gods. Because that, oh, yes. that makeup show was flawless. And I think I left, I think I did leave feeling that way. I don't think that I left that makeup show feeling any, like even remembering what happened before. Because we were just, we were so into it and it was awesome. So one of the stories that I've told about that makeup show that involves you, do you remember during Inner Sandman, during the take my hand part of the chorus, when you clasped hands with that guy next to yeah. you? Yeah. We were looking at each other's eyes. Too. Yeah, you were, you guys had the, like, you shared like a really intense moment. That was the second moment I shared with a person that year. The other moment was at that Oasis show when we were felt like we were about to die, and oh, you yeah. saw me look at this man, this man, and this and me <laughs> yeah. looked into each other's eyes. Just like we that. under we understood what was about to happen to us when that. Oh my god! Like, weird mosh kind of thing. Let's happened. talk. Well, let's talk. <laughs> Dude, that's so funny. I've not thought about that <laughs> since then. So let's talk about that show. So this was the ninety nine X Festival, which ninety nine X was a big rock station in Atlanta, and we were big Oasis fans. They had a record out that year called "Standing on the Shoulder of Giants." That's to this day my favorite Oasis, Oasis record. We go to that gig, and the way it worked was Oasis was headlining it that night. So whatever the first band that played it, which I think was Owsley. Yeah, it was Owsley, and then, and Tra- then Travis. Travis. 
and then but it was uh it was the 99x stage but it was music midtown oh it was the midtown festival that's right that's right so we just went to whatever stage Oasis is going to be out and waited all day. And I remember we saw Owsley and really loved it. And remember, I went back mm-hmm. to your house and I emailed Owsley. Yeah, I do remember that. Because he's from like Gadsden or something, wasn't he? Somewhere over there. He was, Yeah, I think he was an Alabama boy. But he had been yeah. in, but he was in Nashville. Uh-huh. And I remember he emailed me back. Remember that? Tell, I, I do remember it, but I don't remember what was said. Or... It'd be like tweeting him now. Like you get home and you yeah. really like the show and you tweet him and he tweeted you back. But back then I just went and found his email address. And I still feel like an email is much more than a tweet. Like it, Totally. If you get an email response. Right. And I remember we saw Trap and their big hit was, Why does it always rain on me? Yeah, yeah. Why does it always rain on me? Is it because I lied when I was 17? And they were good. Yeah, they were pretty good. So then Oasis comes on, and the crowd starts to push in, which I think we expected. Do you remember how far into the set that that started? Oh yeah, oh it, it was immediate. It was it they well they opened with fucking in the bushes, which is how the yeah. record starts. But that was like a um, a track, and then they came out and they started playing "Go Let yeah. It Out," which is track two. And by the end of yeah. "Go Let It Out," we were out of that pit. What sucks about that so much is we waited there for so long, and we were literally like 10 feet from Liam, just right in front of him. Yeah, I thought I was going to get killed. And you did. Yeah, yeah, I saw you make eye contact with that dude. It was like there was like a lot of fear in both of your eyes. Well, it was it was the the look of understanding what was about to happen. (laughs) That's really what it was like. We both it it was kind of like we we had accepted the fact it was it's weird when i tell people that the wildest concert that i've ever been to is oasis yeah i tell people First that stuff, too. most people don't really get that oasis like has some some really rock and roll songs right like they think everything's just like pretty wonderwall but the madness that ensued like i don't think people understand that that could happen at an oasis concert but that's the scariest moment i've ever had at a, at a concert me too me too and i've i've seen guar i've seen i've seen way heavier <laughs> shows for sure yeah and that that was the scaredest I've ever been. When we kind of got <laughs> when we kind of got out of the, you know what you know what's a close second is it another show that you were at with me, but you it was a perfect circle in the Marathon Nam tour or in the Thirteenth uh, Step tour. Yeah, you opted to do the seats. I, I think. bailed out. I started getting hot, and you were just like, "I'm staying down here." Well, I was equivalent of maybe like tenth row, and then when they came on, well, they came on with kind of a slow jam, but then when the second song, which was a song called "Pet," started. The crowd compressed like a fucking 
tin can, and, and it pushed me to basically equivalent of the third row. So I went from the 10th row to the third row. That's how compressed it got. And I just thought I was going to fucking pass out. Billy Howardell threw his water bottle, and I caught it and dumped it all over my head. And didn't you? Do you remember? I saw you catch it. Like I saw your arm come up and catch it, and you were like shaking it. Yeah. Like, like you know, like a prized shake. Yeah. Like it was like a. And on the way out, we were we were parked out behind behind Boutwell Auditorium, and we were kind of walking around the building, and you just nonchalantly, like subconsciously, threw the water bottle in the garbage can. Yeah. And then you're like, no. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember us waiting outside their buses so we could see them? Yeah. We didn't I don't think we saw Maynard, but we saw like I remember we saw James Eha. Okay. We saw like some of them get off the bus. And there were other appropriate circle fans hanging out making fun of me for wearing a the cure t shirt. Remember that? Yeah, why would they make fun of that? Well, because they thought the cure were they didn't understand. They were stupid. Yeah, they are stupid because like what's the fifth I think it's like the fifth track on thirteenth step. Is it called Disappear? Or oh, vanishing or the vanishing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know that's very Cure sounding. Absolutely, Cure is a huge band for them. We also saw Tool in 2006 on the 10,000 Days tour. That was an important show for some ever. That was Tool. good because we were like 15 rows back. We were pretty close. Which how did we even? I, how did we get those tickets? You got them. I did. Yeah, you took me to that. Wow. And um, like I had seen them at Oak Mountain in like 2001. You saw the Lateralis tour. Yeah. And it was good, but it, that one was so much cooler. We were closer, and I loved Maynard wearing that cowboy hat. Not in the Kirk Hammett way. <laughs> right. In a total Maynard way. What are the songs you remember us playing in our little band? I remember we did Puppets. We did King Nothing, Fuel. Fade to Black. Like We did fa- all the Oh, time. yeah, Fade yeah. to Black. One. One. I think Seek and Destroy, like Four Horsemen, both of those. Yep, we did those two. That's all right. What did we do off Lightning? Oh, we probably did For Whom the Bell Tolls. And we did. We yes. definitely did Creeping Death. Well, For Whom the Bell Tolls was something that I could actually play on the drums. <laughs> <Right>. like, <laughs> That's easy to play all around. Yeah. And you were singing all these songs. You were like the Hetfield. Yeah. I found like a box of just random stuff and found a bunch of tab books. And mm-hmm. I had a lot of Metallica tab books. Hmm. I had uh, Ride the Lightning and Puppets and Justice and... We played Sanitarium, by the way. I know we played that. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's funny that you had all those tab books. And the first vinyl I ever bought was Ride the Lightning. Wow. When I was in Scotland in 2001. And I don't even know why I bought it. I didn't have a record player. I didn't... It wasn't like I wanted one, but I saw that and I just wanted it. (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) Yeah, and I got it. And I didn't get another record for like 15 years after that. <laughs> Do you still have that Ride the Lightning? Yeah. Wow. That's pretty cool. It's got like a Scottish press of Ride the Lightning. Yeah. Do you still listen to Metallica at all? Um, Every once in a while. I'm not as into Like, I'm, I don't listen to Tool that much anymore. Did you get their new record? No, I didn't like it at all. Oh, really? I listened to it the night it came out. Yeah. But no, I, I did not. I felt like it was like, um, I felt like they were just trying to make long songs instead of making a song, Enema or like Third Eye. Like those just happened to, to get long. But I felt like with this record, it's just like, hey, let's write a, a 15 minute song. Let's make sure this one's 15 minutes. Right. The songs are super long. Yeah. I think the record's really cool and I like seeing it live. But it, if I'm really being honest, it doesn't compare to when we were seniors in high school and Lateralis came out. Hearing Schism for the first time and then hearing the grudge and 
ticks and leeches. I mean that yeah. that it, it doesn't have the power that that record had. And I even no. I even think Ten Thousand Days might be better too. Ten Thousand Days I think is better than the new one. Yeah, they do. They played. Uh, I I've seen them twice on this new tour, and the last time I saw them, they played Vicarious. Dude, when we saw Dude, when we I saw them in when we saw them in two thousand six, they did the whole Wings for Marie Ten Thousand Days like those that two song like eighteen minute yeah. thing about his mom. We were pretty lucky to see that. They'll probably never do that again. Wow. And we yeah. saw them do Rosetta Stones too. Remember that show? I got kind of freaked out. I thought we were in. I thought that we were in a spaceship. Did I ever tell you about that? No. What show? At that Tool show we saw in two thousand six. So in two thousand six, I drove us there. It was in like Meridian, Mississippi. So I drove us. It there. was in um, just south of Memphis. It's right up touching Memphis. Such a weird city yeah. and venue. That arena kind of thing. It was in a, like a small arena. Yeah. Maybe eight thousand people. But yeah. I remember we weren't doing any drugs and we had to drive back that night. We weren't drinking. I, it, the show was so kind of psychedelic and like emotionally stirring and moving that at one point all these lasers came out and it got like really ambient and I got kind of wigged out and I thought I thought maybe we were in a spaceship <laughs> that had that had taken off and that we were in space. <laughs> How long did that last? Uh, like that thought, was it just like one of those like, did you what like a split second where you had to remind yourself like I'm here or was it something that was lasting? No, long? no, it was probably like a six minute like a whole oh, a whole thing God. where I, I always had a panic attack. So you were pretty scared. I was about pretty that. scared, yeah. Well, because I just thought like, well, what are we gonna do now? I just thought like, well, what's gonna happen now? And then when, I guess when the when that song ended, it yeah, that that feeling <laughs> faded away. But I'm trying to think like I'm trying to imagine you having that feeling. And not saying anything, because I don't remember that you were like, hey, are we on a spaceship, or can you can you confirm that we're not? And you were probably looking at me, but you were terrified, and I'm probably looking back at you, like, just, like, enjoying what was going <laughs> yeah, on. Totally. Like, yeah, this is cool. Totally. Yeah. I do remember when I was feeling that way, like, looking around other people to see whether if other people were having the same thought. And yeah. I, I didn't see any of the same fear register on their faces, so. You didn't have the guy look you in the eyes to to let you know. No, I've never really shared that kind of. Uh, I've never really shared that kind of moment with anybody at a show. I just remember when you clasped hands with that guy on the "Take My Hand." You guys were both so sincere, like just so sincerely caught up. I don't think I was sincere. I don't think I was. I you think, were being kind of ironic. I do think it was a little bit, but I also think it's weird for that time in our life because we kind of made a point to be an ass a lot of the time. <laughs> but I don't. I think that I didn't want that guy to feel embarrassed i think that i wanted him to like i didn't want to shoot him down because did he sort of initiate the hand clasp yeah i think it was i think that i thought we were both being funny at first like <laughs> kind of looking at each then other you realized he wasn't and then yeah and then he like and then he took my hand right and that and i just kind of felt like i just needed to let it play out for a second but you were laughing so hard i was laughing so fucking hard well, just because the it was like beautiful poetry. Take my yeah. hand. You guys are just cla- fucking locked in. <laughs> was it you that was with me? I think at a Dave Matthews gig in at the Oak Mountain Amphitheater, where a guy we went to high school with was sitting behind us, and he was like, "Pete, yeah, he peed he on peed, me." Peed on you. It was. <laughs> His name was Tyler something. He peed on me. Yeah, because it had been raining that day. <laughs> and um we were down pretty close what gig was that was it dave that was 2001 yeah dave matthews 2001 okay at oak mountain and we were on like stage right out maybe 15 20 rows up yep i remember and uh and it had been raining that day 
and I felt like like water splashing up on me. <laughs> and it was warm though, and I thought it had started raining a little bit, or I couldn't tell. And I looked back, and he was just pissing like like <laughs> on the back side of my seat, and it was just hitting the ground and bouncing up on me. <laughs> and he had he had his sunglasses on, and it was already when it was already dark. <laughs> <laughs> and uh <laughs> Eddie got really embarrassed and sat down and started crying. Do you remember that? <laughs> crying. <laughs> he started crying. <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor guy. <laughs> I saw him like two weeks ago. <laughs> we were walking shit. out of Publix. We were walking out of Publix and he walked by us and I told Laura, I said, that guy pissed on me. on me 20 years ago and then he started crying <laughs> he had his sunglasses on I do remember I do remember him kind of like moping he was like kind of all a sad guy yeah well he peed on Cause... me and then and like his I think it was Thomas Trussell was there with him and he was like telling him to stop and then there were girls that they didn't know next to him I think that he thought that they were gonna like think like oh this guy's crazy he'll do anything and they started making fun of him, oh, and he put his sunglasses on and sat down and started crying. Meanwhile, Dave Matthews is up singing fucking Satellite. <laughs> satellite, headline dream, someone's secrets you've seen, eyes and ears have been, satellite <laughs> God damn, that's insane. <laughs> You saw him in Publix? What did, did you guys talk? No. Nah. Okay. I think he's been avoiding me for 20 years. Yeah, he probably told his wife after he saw you. I peed on that guy 20 years ago. <laughs> and I, then I got sad and cried. <laughs> what other shows did we go to that you remember? Kiss and Skid Row and Ted Nugent. Yep, yep. The That was the Psycho Circus Tour. Yeah. Was it at the Metallica show that the guy like slid down the stairs yeah. on his belly? Yeah, that was the that was the Georgia Dome. So yeah. that was the first one where James got hurt. So we were like we were kind of in nosebleeds a little bit, right? We were in kind of shit. We were in the mezzanine straight. Oh, it was horrible because when when whichever drummer of whichever band would hit like the snare, it would take like a full <laughs> right. second before we heard it. Right. Yeah. It was pretty rough. Yeah, but yeah, some guy. It was pretty steep up there, and some guy. You got to remember, we were like seventeen-year-old kids, so some guy like fell and slid all the way down in a pretty horrific event. For it him. really was, but we yeah. were laughing for pretty him. Hard. But we yeah. were laughing pretty hard. But well, he went down on his belly head first, <laughs> like a penguin. <laughs> <laughs> 
Those are the kind of crazy things that happen to you when you're a kid, man. You just can't, you just like look at each other. You're like, did that just happen? Holy shit. Yeah. Did we ever see Pearl Jam together? Yeah, we did at uh, Oak Mountain that cold night. We waited outside yes. all day. Yeah. Did we spend the night out there? We got out there at like six o'clock in the morning. So this would have been 03. Yeah. April of 03. The Riot Act tour. Uh-huh. And it was GA. So we, we waited for, remember I was on the news? You were on the news. Yeah. They were like interviewing everybody about Eddie Vedder doing the the anti Bush stuff, right? Yeah, and like I ended he put up, that mask on a microphone he stand or the something. Mask, yeah, yeah. And I ended up on the fucking local news, and yeah, I just remember we we had like sat out there for so long in the cold that when they finally opened the gates, we were running for GA, and like my legs felt like jelly. Dude, my legs felt. So, I was scared I was going to break my ankle because I could not feel my legs. And it and. It, <laughs> You're like Gumby running, but we were kind of in the same area that we were at that Dave Matthews show. We were probably we were like stage right, but we were a little bit closer. I think we we're probably about ten rows closer. And they open with Go, right? They open with Go, yeah, yeah. So that was back when they were doing a thing where you could order the CD off their website like the that night, and then they would send you the CDs within a couple of days. Yeah, which was pretty advanced for two thousand three. Yeah, it wasn't like was an awesome. immediate digital download. You could you could have it shipped to you in a couple of days. Honestly, I'd rather have that physical. That's why I, you know I've gotten into collecting records and all that recently. Just I like having that physical thing. And for so long, it, CDs have just kind of gone away. Yeah, and it just took me a while to like be like, okay, I'm fine. I'm gonna I'm gonna do this because you know I was thinking like I'm gonna have to rebuy my whole collection. And all that kind of stuff, but I finally went for it. But yeah, I mean, like the CD. I think the CD's cooler than just having the digital download. Dude, I've I've taken that a step further, and I've I've been buying tapes again. Oh yeah, I've seen that. I have a. Ta- Where do you find those? They're so cheap. Um, anywhere. Well, you know, like touring all the time, we end up in these weird towns and going to like a like a Goodwill type place or like a record store that has tapes, and they're like a buck, you know. So. I have like a bunch of our favorite, re- dude. The same tapes that we were listening to when we were kids, I've got all those now, and I've got a tape. Like, how do they sound? Like compared to mm. like records or CDs? Not and great. Stuff? Not great. Yeah, but I'm not really listening to it for that, I, dude. I I bought a Walkman. Uh, <laughs> if I go to the gym or something, or if I go for a walk, instead of like having my phone, which has a million distractions and every song ever in the world, and mm-hmm. it's nice to just take like disintegration, side A and side B, and that's what I'm going to listen to. Yeah, it reminds me when we were kids. I feel like we appreciated those records more, and I think that's why we have a lifelong affinity for this kind of music, is because we didn't have that many options. All we had was what we had. Yeah, and I'm I'm like that now with these records. I turn it on and I'm listening from song one through the end of the record, right. and I'm not constantly switching. Like I can't stand that about digital music. You're not even listening to the song; you're just thinking about what you're going to change it to next. Well, and and people can't even listen to a full song anymore. Yeah, and I'm even lazy enough to where with my vinyl situation, I'll play side A like ten times because I don't want to like switch sides. Because I have a oh yeah in my studio, the way my record player works is it it automatically the arm goes back and all I got to do is hit start again and it'll just play side A yeah. again. So I'll listen to side A over and over, and that's when you start to that's when like the song that you thought you didn't like the first time you heard the record. That's when the song that you didn't like starts to grow on you, and that's when you realize like oh I lo- I love this weird deep cut, you know. Uh-huh. Like if I didn't have to listen to Use Your Illusion 2 over and over and over, I might have never loved the song Breakdown. Oh, yeah. Or or any of the weirder, or the song Estranged, like any of the weirder songs on that record. 
What about so fine? Dude, still don't like it. How could you be so cool? I hate Duff McKagan shit in that. And also My World. You want to step into my world? It's a social psychotic state of bliss. You've been delayed in the real world. How many times have you hit and missed? Your cat can't show disfiguration. I want to laugh myself to death. With a miss, fight, so that's with a big configuration. I'll hold the line while you gasp for breath. You want to talk to me? 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 I think I heard my world for the first time at your house in that tree house in your backyard. Oh, yeah. Because I painted the inside of that thing while I was listening to that CD. Yeah. And I freaked out because a big drop of paint dripped onto my eyeball <laughs> while I was painting. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's going on with you musically? Are you, you're still making music, right? You're, you're trying to make a new record or something, right? Jason pretty much comes up with the idea and sends it to us. And I've just been doing the vocals. I'm enjoying that more. I feel more free to do the, with the melody than when I was trying to play guitar and sing. So me and you were really tight right out of high school, too. I was playing in this band called Loose Stone, a cover band. You had a band called Cordova. Mm -hmm. Played at the Nick a lot, played around Birmingham a lot, right? Yeah. That was a great band. Were you the primary songwriter at that time? Or, like, I'm thinking about uh, songs like um, Chemical Crush. See, Jason came up with that guitar part. Okay. I've always liked his creativity. I mean, he knows he's not like a shredder. He's not like a technical guitar yeah, but player. But that's great, at all. though. He's kind of like left the center. It's cool. He, yeah. He kind of like comes from a different he's place. He's very creative with his stuff. I like what he does a lot. Yeah, like, me too. I feel like a lot of, you know, when I would write songs that bench braid stuff, it seemed like I was stuck in this box of just kind of playing the same thing over and over again. Mm -hmm. And some of the melodies were, were pretty good. I like some of the songs, but it was like, I'd. I didn't venture out the way that he does. I 
let's talk for a second about the Nick. There was kind of this, what I refer to now as the golden age of the Nick, where I was playing at the Nick occasionally with like Jesse Payne. You were playing the Nick a lot with Cordova. We were really into this band called Blue Epic. We loved this band called Wayne. The Nick was kind of where it was at, man. Yeah, back when you're talking about, yes, it was awesome. And we actually, when we first started playing there, they had us do a residency like Monday nights for four weeks and then a Saturday night headlining show. That was kind of how you got to a headlining gig. You had to do a shittier early early week slot. Yeah, so what we started trying to do was just get on as an opener with bigger bands. Right. That was a lot more fun for us. And one of the, the bills that we got on was a St. Patrick's Day show that was with the Damwells. I mean, it was completely packed. I think it was sold out. Whoa, I don't remember you guys opening for the Damwells. Yeah, that was a really fun night. I mean, surely I was there. I mean, unless you were out of town, I would think you would have been. No, surely I was there. We would go see them anytime they were in town. Yeah. Yeah, that place was so special. I I was in Birmingham maybe a month ago, just really quickly. Like, we just dipped down because my sister had a kid. So I was texting my friend Brad Lyons, and I was like, hey, we're in town for like a night. I didn't know what he was up to. And he was like, oh, maybe we can get coffee tomorrow. I'm, I'm like playing with the Nick tonight. And I was like, are you going to invite me to the fucking show? I was like, dude, I'm like right <laughs> down the street. What do you mean you're playing at the Nick tonight? So the last time I was at the Nick, remember the New Year's Eve party that we went to when I was dating Molly and we saw Blue Epic on New Year's Eve? That one must have yeah. been 03. Oh my god! That was the last time I was at the Nick. I went to the Nick like two or three weeks ago for the first time in almost seventeen years, and it was like nothing had changed, dude. It was like no time had passed. It was so cool and weird, and kind of yeah. sad, but but mostly cool and weird. What was sad about it? It's just sad when it seems like things haven't changed much. It was like uh-huh. you expect things to be different and to have evolved and moved on, but it kind of felt like 2003. And in that way, it was like, oh, it was sad in in, in normal ways where like, oh, things haven't really progressed here and that's sad. But yeah, then it was yeah, sad yeah. in nostalgic ways of like, oh, I had a lot of good times in this room uh-huh. that are gone, that are in the past, that are never going to happen again. And it was cool to see like other bands play, and like I watched every band. Brad played in the in the last band, so I stayed the whole. What's time. the name of the band that he played in? Oh, dude, I can't even remember. Can't remember. Don't know. What was the crowd like? Sparse, maybe fifty people, which yeah. is kind of what the Nick always feels like, you know. Uh huh. Like fifty people, but fifty people who were really into it. And then, of course, in between each band, everyone goes out front and smokes and stuff. The bands are loading out in their vans right there by the stage door and all the staples in the wall from all the flyers. It just felt my old friends from that era came out to the show, and they didn't even know I was in town. I don't know. It was just like a strange, nostalgic trip. Yeah. But it was good. I mean, it was cool, you know? Would you want to go back there Eh, anytime soon, or was it kind of like, all right, I'm just going to leave it here? If Brad's playing there again, and like if you you were able to like come out, if Brad was playing and you were able to come out too, then fuck yeah. What else are we going to do? Yeah, yeah. But it didn't have the magic because there was that era that we're talking about where there was just so much magic. All right, dude. Well, it was a pleasure to go down uh, to, to visit Memory Lane with you just now about our childhood together and growing up with Metallica. Thank you for coming on the show and regaling us with all these wonderful stories. I love to talk about it, too. So, yeah, it's a lot of fun to just to think about all that stuff and remember a lot of the stuff that I've forgotten about. We should do this like uh, once a month. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> All right, well, thanks, man. <laughs> Appreciate you. Master! Master! 
All right, well, there you have it, my wonderful conversation with my longest-running best friend of all time, 30 years strong, Mr. Aaron Schaefer. I love dipping back into those Cordova songs. If you want to keep up with that band, I'll put links to uh, some of the music in the description below. We're going to be back next week talking to Scott, who is one of the builders for the uh, Reclaimed Rust exhibit. A couple of the cars that were featured there were built by this guy, Scott. He reached out to the podcast after our Reclaimed Rust episode, and I talked to him this morning on the phone, and uh, we're booked to, to do an interview, so that's going to be a lot of fun. If you want to ask Scott your own questions about being in the Beatnik Car Club or what it's like working with James Hetfield, you can go to patreon.com slash podcast and get involved with what's cool over there on the Patreon. And uh, we love you guys. Thanks for hanging in there with me next week. I hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you on the flip-flop. Peace. <laughs> Or our advice, or what would you say? Then I would say, delete that. <laughs>